0: When I was looking at the guest today's bio and passions and work that this wonderful man, Jake, is doing for the world, it reminded me of something I actually haven't thought about in a long time. And I'm excited to dig in and reflect on this kind of low priority in my life thus far. I think about 10, maybe 12 or 13 years ago, I remember where I was when this happened. So I'm trying to place the date, let's say like 2008 or 2009. I went to this workshop in Santa Monica, California about eyesight. And it was really fascinating for me because I remember as a teenager finding out that I needed to wear glasses in order to drive. That was like the big wake up call. Like I think either I was getting my driver's license or I just coincidentally went to the doctor and they looked at my eyesight and they said, you're going to need glasses. And I was terrified of it. I think mostly at that time, it was like a vain, superficial fear of, oh my gosh, I'm going to look awful in glasses. And so actually for the longest time, I avoided glasses and just wore contacts. And it was fine. I accepted it. But I remember in around that 2008 timeframe, I saw a class that was happening in Santa Monica of a woman who was teaching people how to strengthen their eyes and their vision without glasses or contacts. And I thought, well, that sounds much better because for so long, contacts were expensive. I had to go get the prescription changed and it just like felt like this huge hassle. So I went to this workshop and she had these great practices. And I remember one in particular, there were these glasses with pinholes in them and they would teach your eyes somehow to like work differently. And I also remember her saying something about you could train yourself simply by looking in the distance and taking in the information in a, a way that you don't usually take in And some of what she taught me has been in the back of my mind ever since, but it just got put on the back burner, like I said. And then in 2013, another big thing happened with my vision, which actually has had an ongoing impact on my YouTube audience. On one of my channels, I posted a video about being diagnosed with what the doctor referred to as eye herpes, which... I had never heard of before, and I was really freaked out by. There was like something going on with my vision. I went in, and that's what they told me that was going on. I had to take these eye drops and whatever. And it cleared up, fortunately. Along that process, I saw another eye specialist who said, Hey, you know, has anyone ever told you that your eyes are super inflamed? And it's contributing to your poor vision. So he encouraged me not to wear contacts anymore and to switch to glasses and I thought, "Oh, but I don't like the way I look in glasses." <laughs> I took his advice anyways cuz I cared about my eyes and my health. And lo and behold, about a month later, I think I went back to him and my vision had completely improved. My eyes were so inflamed from wearing contacts all those years. I don't know if I just personally had an allergic reaction or there was a the specific contacts I was wearing, but my my uh, eyeglass prescription went way down, and I actually decided to never wear contacts again. And now, I only wear glasses when driving the car because my vision's still a little blurry. Now that leads me to Jake and his specialty today. I'm very interested in this because, aside from those moments, I have not prioritized my vision. It's something that is more irksome. I only think about it when I'm trying to see something and I have to put on my glasses in order to see it more clearly. Jake, I know that you're so passionate about vision and I'm really excited to dive into this and see what else I can learn and our listener can learn about their vision. So we can use that as a jumping off point. Even as we're talking right now, I feel like my eye feels a little inflamed and like itchy And I think it's because of like some food I ate as part of my food sensitivity. So I imagine you've heard a lot of these things before. These must not be new topics that have come up, but maybe they are.
1: Super common. You and I have the same, I don't know exactly what age I was, but it was probably 12 or 13 when I got my first classes. My parents took me to the optometrist, but I was kind of excited because I enjoyed the attention and frames and things to play with. and then. When you get your glass and you walk out of there, the world is like super 3D, extra clear. So in a weird, unfortunately, I liked it. The vanity didn't kick in till much later. And actually, why I no longer need glasses is because of vanity also. So
0: Wow. I mean, that's super really interesting.
1: Yeah, I was wearing minus diopter glasses in the end. So they were really thick. And the thicker the glasses are, the smaller your eyes look behind them. That's one of the ways glasses work. So, I had these tiny little piggy eyes behind thick frames, thick lenses and as a single guy that was just not super acceptable. And then I went to the optometrist one time and I said, well, you need stronger glasses in my 20s and that's the first time I went by myself, asked why, why is this? And at that point, I was an analyst. So, my profession is understanding businesses basically. I'm a super boring guy. Like I analyze what's actually going on. I don't listen so much to people's stories and tales and marketing. I just go at what is the actual data. And when the optometrist said, you need strong glasses, I asked, why? And I said, it's mysterious and genetic. We don't know. And because of my profession, that's not a suitable answer. You go to a guy that's selling your treatment that claims to be an expert And if they don't understand the cause of my problem, I don't know if I want them to treat it. It's kind of a stretch to go, I don't know what caused this, but it's probably genetic. It's probably not genetic, right? Like our human genes didn't change in the last 50 years to include the entire world's population to suddenly not be able to see. It's extremely unlikely. So I went and did a bunch of research and found the actual cause of myopia, which is not that complicated, in fact, and then I started playing around with reversing it, which was the last 20 years of messing with, never was my job. It's not currently, like it's not my income, it's not a thing. But somehow I fell into this, why does nobody else talk about it? And I just got sort of dragged along with what's now a pretty big community of people who go, this is a thing and we could enjoy seeing well and it would be easy to do. And instead we're feeding a hundred billion dollar industry who is consistently lying about our eyesight.
0: Yes, and that in itself, I just don't hear people talking about very often, and that's part of what makes this so fascinating is the more that we reflect on how others are profiting off of for lack of a better term, kind of fooling us, manipulating us, convincing us of something, which is at the core of a lot of marketing, right? But if that leads us to doing something unnecessary when many of us are striving for a more natural solution. And that, again, is what drew me to that curiosity I had over 10 years ago and going to that class is thinking, wait a second, how come nobody has ever told me that I don't need to wear glasses or contacts? And that was the other thing in 2013, when I saw this amazing eye doctor, he was the very first one out of all the eye specialists I had seen throughout my life. The very first one who said, oh, your eyes are inflamed. And I'm thinking, what? i had been going year after year, every two years, whatever that period was, to get new contact prescriptions. And nobody stopped me to ask why my prescription was going up. I thought that was like just how vision worked. But it turns out my prescription was going up because my eyes were inflamed and they're not supposed to be inflamed.
1: We have this institutionalized trust I think where my parents are both medical doctors, so I grew up with the relationship that exists between people in that way and I think part of what I'm doing and people complain a lot because my website's terrible and I explain a lot of science and people are like, just give me the steps, I don't want to understand the science. But my point is always replace this sense of trusting a person because of a title and ask more questions. I know it's a pain. I know it takes more effort and it takes more time. You just want to find somebody who you go, this guy knows, here we go. But then the road you're taking, you really might be going down who knows what direction where you could have spent a couple days or a week or two going Google Scholar, see what the science says, see what's actually going on and not end up in that place. They're amazing doctors and modern medical science is brilliant. Like there's a ton of things that can improve our lives but I always say it's like mushrooms in a forest. Like things have not gotten safer or better for humans in a lot of ways because you walk into the forest and you eat a mushroom, maybe it'll kill you. You have to know which mushrooms are good for you. I think the same is true for modern medical science. There's awesome stuff and there's not great stuff, right? Like there's lots of pills and medicines and treatments that are symptom treatments that are not going to improve your life without better answers that you don't get from them. It's a bad mushroom. But the guy who told you your eyes are inflamed and helped you, medical doctor doing medical stuff, good mushroom. And people place too much trust and they assume that all of these medical mushrooms are awesome. I'm going to stop with that metaphor.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great metaphor because mushrooms I think are our friends and I'm deeply fascinated by mushrooms more and more. So, it's a really great point. And it goes back to a lot of those moments that I've had, I know other people have had about realizing that what they've been told by people that they trust may not be the full truth, may not be the information they needed. Perhaps they were told things in order for someone else to benefit and for them to not benefit or perhaps suffer in some ways. And maybe it's not this deep evil. It's just that, unfortunately, our society kind of works that way. And That's why I bring up marketing. If you look at some elements of marketing, you could think, gosh, this is pretty awful how people manipulate one another to make money. But sometimes we market for good. And then that ties into your metaphor here, too, is that not all marketing is bad because we need information in order to learn from each other. And we need other people's skills and services. And one thing I think is really cool about what you're doing, Jake, is you have this large community. It's a Facebook group, right? Right of over 20,000 people in there. And it sounds like everybody's there to help one another. They're not there to like sell each other on something. It's like, hey, this is what's going on with my vision right now. I haven't been in your group, but I assume that that's what it is. And I think that's a huge part of our future, but also our past is supportive communities versus kind of this capitalist stance of people taking advantage of one another in order to succeed at whatever cost. And it sounds kind of disturbing, but I feel like that just easily happens with our medical system, especially in the US.
1: It does. And I think the marketing is also true because I've had marketing people go over my web stuff and force me to do marketing things that I don't want to do, but it works, right? And my goal is I want people to go, hey, I should care about my eyes. And currently you don't. Right? Like you got those glasses and as long as you don't have problems with the glasses, you live the life you live. And you know, once a year you wander in there and they say prescription this and that and you go by and then you live your life again. And I don't care. Like I'm not a huge humanitarian. Like people do whatever they want. But on some level and I'm like if I went searching and I would want to find this information, I would want somebody to put out there You can go paragliding and skydiving and you can ride a bicycle in the rain without frames in front of your eyes and your kids don't need glasses and their social development will get screwed up by wearing glasses and iPads are not babysitters. There's so much stuff that nobody's talking about because it makes no money, right? Like my stuff is free. Like a lot of times the truth and health doesn't make money. So I need to make money to live. So how am I going to do this stuff? I think that's a big problem. And while we're wandering around totally in random topics, I think people really don't realize how much your life could be different if you weren't depending on these artificial things to give you good vision.
0: Yes, myself included. I feel like I spend so much of my life thinking about health and looking for natural alternatives or ways to simplify. But as I mentioned, my vision has not been a big focus. So you're really inspiring me to think about this because a great example is an inconvenience too. And my prescription is not very high. So, as I mentioned, the great majority of the time that I'm wearing my glasses is when I'm driving. Because if I don't wear them, things just look kind of blurry. Maybe if I go to the movie theater, I'll wear them if something's like in the distance, or if I go to the traditional theater, seeing a play or something, right? Like, and I'm sitting farther away, a concert, perhaps. But sometimes I forget my glasses. And this just happened to me the other day. And I got in the car and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like my glasses are all the way here and I don't have them. Like, do I go? back and get them. Or I don't even know in that moment if I was able to go get them. And I had to drive without my glasses. And funny enough, I started to forget about the fact that I wasn't wearing them because my eyes kind of adjusted. I got used to that experience of the blurriness. It's like the opposite of what you were talking about as a kid. That first time you put on glasses and everything looks so clear and vibrant, but you've been used to things being blurry. So you take that as your norm. I like that. Intersection of how can we improve our vision so that we don't have to wear them at all? That's really the ideal.
1: By the way, don't tell people you were driving without glasses. You're gonna get in trouble.
0: <laughs> can you actually get <laughs> somebody? to that? save
1: that and then like you get an accident? They'd be like, she wasn't wearing her glasses.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily that is like a one percent of the time, but I suppose that might not hold up in court. So, good point. Twenty forty is a, requirement. a little too, too transparent. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I don't even know what my vision is to be honest.
1: Yeah. Well, if you take the if you have to renew your license, they do an eye test and it's if you're past twenty forty, I think in California you're good. But let me explain the biology just for like two minutes. It's not super exciting, but I think it's really important to understand because you were talking about the lady that was giving ideas about vision and it's one of my little frustrating points. Same with optometrist, it's like understand the cause before suggesting solutions. I have maybe again, because people say like I'm dry and I've tried sarcastic humor and I'm not that exciting in many ways, but I always go, let's understand the problem before we talk about the solutions. Right. So super super extra short version. Eyeball in the front is a flexible lens and it's a fluid filled ball. It's super cool piece of biology technology actually. So the lens is flexible and there's a circular muscle around it. And when you look at a distance, that muscle relaxed and the lens is flat and you see clearly at a distance. Like a camera lens, that lens refocuses the light that focuses on the back of the eyeball where the retina is that starts processing the visual signal. So ball, lens in the front, the receiver, the retina in the back, and then the lens refocuses light depending on... If you look at something up close or something far away and that muscle gets tighter, the closer you look at something. That is the key to most of your eyesight challenges is relaxed muscle at 20 feet and then tighter and tighter muscle, the closer you focus. No pain feedback. You don't know. You don't feel that that muscle is tight. If you look at your phone, that muscle is extremely tight because now you're at a really close distance. If you're looking at your TV, that muscle is moderately tight, right? Like it's still a few feet away. If you're at 20 feet, that muscle is totally relaxed. And I super recommend people go to scholar.google.com. Whenever you find some random dude on the internet saying this $100 billion industry is lying, I always go on Google Scholar. Scholar.google.com. Google Google search for only medical science, clinical science, peer-reviewed journals, no internet marketing stuff. Even if you don't want to read scientific articles, it's a great way to go. Can this be true? And you type in pseudo myopia, P S E U D O, myopia, or near induced transient myopia. Boring long word, near induced, caused by near, transient meaning temporary, myopia is short sightedness or nearsightedness. So if you type those into Google Scholar, you're going to get tens of thousands of search results of. 50 years worth of peer reviewed clinical science discussing how your short sightedness starts. And it's not a mysterious genetic illness. It's that muscle has been tight for too long. So it spasms. Literally, when you were 12 and you went to the optometrist, what happened is you've been in school long enough and you're spending enough time in front of books, today it's screens, that that muscle spent so much time in super tight mode that When you looked at a distance, it didn't totally relax. Like it's if you put your camera in manual mode and you set the focus to somewhere in between close-up and distance and stuff is just kind of blurry, the lens is stuck. And all it would take, pseudomyopia, I recommend looking it up. All it would take is more distance vision time to let that muscle relax and your eyesight would have been perfect again. And I'm going to stop the giant monologue on the biology for here, but... Since you almost never wear glasses, your vision isn't getting worse. If you took those glasses and you wore them right now while we're talking and you wore them for all your computer work, a year from now, if you took them off, everything would be blurry. The glasses, wearing the glasses literally creates a dependence on glasses and needing more of them.
0: I mean, actually, I find this incredibly helpful and fascinating because it's never been explained to me that way, or at least not in a way where... I was willing to pay attention. (laughs) But it's like sometimes just information goes in one ear and out the other. But having these conversations when something is really put into context is what makes them so valuable. And it's got me thinking, I definitely want to go look up this and dig in a little deeper. And I am very curious about exercises and practices. And I imagine that you have a lot of resources for this on your website and in the Facebook groups and all of that. So Is that the best place to find like tips for what you can do? Are there daily practices? I'm also curious. One of the big hot topics in the wellness world is blue blocking glasses. And you've touched upon using screens. I have several pairs of them and I know that they're good and recommended for the blue light reasons, but I'm curious about your perspective on them. Are they kind of something that you highly recommend doing multiple times a day. It's often encouraged to wear them in the morning and at night when you're using screens. Some people wear them all the time. What are your thoughts on those?
1: I'm not much loved by people selling things because I'm a simple creature. To me, so much of the time, the solution is not another product or another thing. It's more going outside, more putting the screen down. That's Why I'm not selling stuff. And that's why so much of what I'm doing is just not profitable in any way. Here's my take on the blue blocking glasses. Not a popular take. But Coke Zero. You familiar with Coke Zero? Coca-Cola made this product where there's no sugar in it. And they say it's better for you. And McDonald's promoting salads. Or you know, my favorite thing is Wonder Bread where they say extra vitamins. Like fortified with vitamins. It's taking a thing that is not good for you and removing an ingredient or adding an ingredient and going, this will fix it. That's blue blocking glasses. Your problem is you're not spending enough time in a natural environment. You're surrounded by artificial environments. The blue part of the light spectrum definitely is not ideal for things like sleep. And there's stuff that light spectrum affects absolutely. But your problem isn't the blue part of the light spectrum. The problem is that you're spending too much time from the screen. Your sleep patterns are disrupted. Your social interactions are disrupted. You're not seeing the outside world. And people feel guilty innately because you know on some level that this is not ideal. And so they make a product to sell you to make you believe if you pop these on and you eliminate this tiny part of the spectrum of light, now you're fine. It's the same as drinking Coke Zero. It's the same as having a salad at McDonald's. It's the same as buying Wonder Bread with vitamins in it. It doesn't fix the problem. It's making you feel less guilty about doing things that you shouldn't be doing so much of.
0: Oh, I love that. That's very well explained. And also something that might not seem that obvious because, to your point, through marketing, again, this is where it comes up over and over again, you hear people say, this makes such a big difference, myself included. I mean, I've promoted blue blocking glasses, not necessarily to make money from them, although in full transparency, I'm an affiliate of, now I can't even remember their name off the top of my head. One <laughs> of those main blue block, obviously they're not, <laughs> they're, they're I'm drawing a blank, but one of the main blue blogger companies, I signed up for their affiliate program because I started talking about them so much. But my main thing was like, ooh, these do seem to make a difference. But to your point, they're only making a difference relative to the other behavior that I have in front of my screens.
1: Helpful. They are helpful, right? Like I have a Mac thing and it shifts the light of the screen at nighttime. Definitely helpful. I'm not saying they're useless. I'm saying we're making ourselves feel better with these things and using them as a complete excuse to go, I'm going to have my lunch is going to be wonder bread and Coke zero because it's fine. Right? Like, Benefit, but don't have that goal. This replaces a good habit. You know, this replaces me going to bed earlier, waking up earlier, putting the screen away more.
0: Yes. And this actually leads me to something I'm very curious about your perspective on, especially given that you've worked in the different elements of technology and finances and branding and all of this history that you've had. And you spend a lot of time on Facebook with your group, which is now rebranded to Meta. We are moving into what people are referring to as Web3, which is a personal passion of mine. And I have this double-sided fascination with it. It's one, I'm trying to learn it because it feels like an inevitable thing that's happening to us. And I want to understand it as best as I can before it happens. But two, I'm trying to understand what our future is because there's a lot of downsides to the metaverse, for example. How do you feel about this? What knowledge do you have about the metaverse? How do you feel about people basically immersing themselves in virtual reality, augmented reality, wearing these glasses, not to see real life, but to see this virtual life?
1: I think it's super exciting. I think our advancement in our lifetime is just unbelievable. Like we are becoming a different species. We're becoming a connected species. Like phones are already augmenting what we are and what we have access to. The fact that you and I are having a conversation across the world and that these topics are no longer top down. Like we're becoming like much more peer connected Super amazing. The idea that we can virtually connect and we can change our characters. Amazing, amazing stuff. On the flip side of it, I think the first generation or two of all new things are rough on people. Like for example, now phones are babysitters. That is a terrible, 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 terrible idea. But we don't know this because it's new, right? Like when we discovered that you can make... uh, nuclear technology happened like there was periods of time where those things were just not ideal for us there were medical treatments involving plutonium that were just not great when medical science was advancing like people would use ice picks to try to cure all kinds of brain trauma and issues that totally didn't work so i think we are unfortunately the guinea pigs they're going to be amazed by it and they're going to find out the hard way that facebook is a great way to connect and is a terrible way to make society very split on lots of topics. It's going to suck for us in a way because we're going to be amazed by it. We're not going to know in what way this is going to be not great at all. And governments are not super helpful and this is run by companies motivated solely by profit. So, there's a lot of potential downside and nobody caring about our benefit. Facebook Meta wants to sell this to us. They're going to find the most addictive possible way to make you spend as much as time as possible in the thing to sell you stuff. Governments are not going to care because they want control. So, they're going to love if it gives them more control, they're going to love it. If you're addicted to a thing that does you no good, nobody will tell you. So, I think like I have a five-year-old now, six-year-old and a one-year-old. They don't get to play with phones. Just like Steve Jobs said in his own autobiography, no iPads for my kids. The dude knew there's a great upside to these things and there's a great downside. And a lot of what we're being given is bad mushrooms. It's enjoy with caution would be my take on it. And I think it's going to be amazing. It's going to be transformative. But on the way, a lot of people are going to fall into new ways of addiction that they're not going to be told about, is my thought.
0: Yeah. And I believe so too, because we're really just in the past year or two, it feels like there's been so much attention brought to the downsides of social media. And there are more and more studies being done about how it's impacting the mental health of teenagers. And it's not looking that good for us, but to your point, they're like the people that are being experimented on in this moment. And those of us who have our fully developed brains are looking at it from a different lens. And yeah, I feel torn about it too, because in my head, I'm also thinking you've got this community of 20,000 plus people on Facebook, and perhaps they can put on the Oculus glasses or whatever technology it is and feel like they're sitting in a room together, which they may never get the chance to do because of their distance from one another. That stuff really excites me. But I'm sure you're wondering, how is this going to impact their vision <laughs> I mean, are we going to get to the point where our eyes are so used to looking at screens so close up that our vision is destroyed? Do you think that's possible for the future and current generations?
1: I think, and this is weird. Okay, so the second half of this biology puzzle, the first half is circular muscle, right? That people don't know. And this is optometry and ophthalmology, clinical science explores this. So the weird thing is you go to an optometrist and they say, ah, oh, we don't know it's genetic. Yeah, they do know. The lens selling optometrist, the retail guy maybe doesn't know, but he should because it's literally in depth figured out in their own journals. The second half of this thing, which is more weird and interesting is glasses cause more myopia. Lens induced myopia. If you go to Google Scholar, you type in lens induced caused by lenses, short-sightedness, your near-sightedness literally gets worse because you're wearing glasses. Again, tens of thousands of search results. This is a known side effect of wearing glasses, your eyesight will very likely get worse. And the extra short version is your eyeball is a mechanism in it that adjusts its length. So the focus is done in two parts it's the lens in the eye and then the eyeball itself changes length. So where the light hits in the back and the retina and the lens, the distance is adjusted. And that mechanism functions throughout your life. Some people think it's only during puberty or whatever. Your whole life, the eyeball always adjusts because it's a fluid-filled ball. It's never perfect. Adjustment happens. And the mechanism of the adjustment is the eye checks where does the light hit in the back. If some of it hits in the front of the retina, the eyeball shortens. If some of it hits behind the retina, the eyeball elongates. It's trying to always work perfectly. What glasses do is they focus some of the light behind the retina. So your eyeball starts to elongate and your vision gets worse. So, what I was saying before is if you were wearing your glasses during close-up, you would cause some of this and your eyeball would elongate and now you would need those glasses. You would be dependent, you would have to wear them. That's the well-understood biology that drives a hundred billion dollar industries. Get people to wear glasses, they will become dependent on them. Fact, like it's not a question. And This drives an industry that is dependent on this profit model, and people don't mind because you have options. You have glasses, you have contact lenses, LASIK, which is a really terrible idea. And the thing that we don't realize is it affects you as a person. And I'm also to just super short version is for example, how you socially interact is different if you wear glasses and if you don't, because you train your eyes to look through the center of a lens. So your natural eye movement isn't the same because you're fixed looking through the center of a lens, your neck movement, your head movement is very slightly altered from a person who doesn't wear glasses or wears contacts. So, you seem slightly stiff and unnatural, almost subconsciously the person you're talking to. If you're a kid wearing glasses, you get bullied a ton because something's on your face, but also because you interact weird. Your social interaction is disturbed by the lens where it can affect your personality development, how you see yourself. You think of yourself as more nerdy and introverted. Maybe you're not. Maybe it's because you're wearing glasses. I'm not going to go too far. But another thing is you have this limited field of vision. Your peripheral vision isn't functioning. So low state ongoing states of anxiety are very possible because your visual cortex in your brain says, I don't know what's coming out of here, right? Like you could see almost 180 degrees with glasses. You can't, but you may be more anxious as a person. You're going to be afraid of sports and physical interactions because you have no peripheral vision. If you have a contact lens, it's much less of an issue. What you experience though is not that uncommon. You can also Google Scholar corneal thinning. The cornea is the front of your eye. If you are contacts for long periods of time, years and years and years, the cornea tends to thin, not reversible. The cornea is a structure of your eye. So that's a, not a good thing. So while you get better vision with contact lenses, you're affecting the physical biology. So from your interaction with the world to your personality how you feel about yourself to your experience with the world glasses affect all of these things and i think to your point of are we going to spend less and less time in the real world the longer i spend being on this topic the more i realize that the key to not being short sightedness is go out and play and then following that along i'm like we stop going outside and playing we stopped getting bored because we have instant gratification at all times with devices. We stop being creative because we stop getting bored. And we're more and more just becoming these screen addicts, addicts to content consumption.
0: Yes. So much of what you're touching upon feeds into this like natural human. I think maybe it's a combination of conditioning, but also human nature. Like you mentioned, instant gratification wanting to put the least amount of work into something, wanting to be approved of, not wanting to feel excluded or different. I mean, we have these basic human needs and desires and it ties into all of this. So we want that connection. We want community. We want to feel like we're attractive. And when I'm thinking back to that time when I was about 16 years old and started wearing contacts... I was afraid of wearing glasses because of the things that you mentioned, right? I didn't want to look like I was so nerdy. I didn't want guys that I was interested in to think differently because I was wearing glasses, which is so silly because in my older years of my life, I recognize some people actually really like the way glasses look on another person, right? Like I now have a pair of glasses that I feel cool in and I get complimented on and there's so many options. But when I was 16... All I could think about was the downsides. And then I had this doctor who said, Oh, sure, you can just wear contacts. You don't have to wear glasses if you don't want. But now you're sharing something with me that I wish I had known, which is the long term consequences of wearing contacts all the time and how it really took me a huge chunk of my life and the development of my eyes for someone to finally tell me, Hey, these are not suitable for you. Like, you just shouldn't be wearing these. And Now, I just don't even think about wearing contacts. It's not even an option that comes to mind. But I am curious about LASIK. And I wanted to go back to that. And again, I know that on your website, you probably have a lot of frequently asked questions and these things I'm sure you can search for in your Facebook group, right? You must have addressed this on podcast. I don't want to get too much into the redundancies for all your database of information. But I would love to know some things about LASIK.
1: So... I'm a normal guy, right? I'm not into conspiracy stuff. I tune out. When people go into things that isn't fairly mainstream, I'm just like, yeah, I don't have the brain space for this. And LASIK, there's a few, but it's one of those topics where I was like, I can't believe this is real. I had a podcast. I've only ever had one guest on my podcast where we were not talking about vision improvement because of LASIK. The man's name is Dr. Morris Waxler. He's the former head of the FDA surgical division who got LASIK approved. He is the man who put the stamp on LASIK. He's like 70 something years old now. He's got this white Einstein hair that goes all over the place. I highly recommend him as a guest. He's a brilliant man, head of the FDA surgical devices division. Like he is the real dude on the inside and he will talk about LASIK. We had an hour conversation that I couldn't believe. Because it's not some guy. It's not a divisive topic of he said, she said, it's an opinion. This is the man who got it approved, who was inside those offices, saw what testing went on. And he says, worst decision of his life, the thing that he will regret to his end, should have never been approved, is a terrible idea. The man who got it approved himself. And he spent an hour and he sent me all the references up front. So none of it was just idle speculation. 30% chance of permanent dry eyes. He just goes on. It's amazing to hear from the man. Cutting your cornea, the structure of your eye is significantly disrupted. He goes, you cut the nerves. So you have no pain sensation for the next year or so. And then when the sensation comes back, you may have ongoing eye pain just for who knows how long. And he says, we can't tell you because that was not part of the FDA criteria. He says the criteria, and I literally... Quoting the guy said two things were the criteria to get LASIK approved. One is you could read 2020 in an eye chart, which doesn't mean that you can see well. It's just that you can read the 2020 line and the eyeballs don't fall out of your head. It was shocking. He said the LASIK surgeons have total cowboy attitudes. They do whatever they want. They're using machines that weren't even approved for LASIK or not intended for LASIK. And the FDA had no real tests for what are the medical consequences of this procedure. So, it's an FDA approved thing that is absolutely a highly questionable thing. I'm not saying don't do it. People will say in the comments, my friend had LASIK and it worked out great. Yeah, of course, it'll work out great for 90 some percent of people. But when it doesn't, the side effects may be unfixable and traumatic. He's talking about suicides because of LASIK. Again, former head of FDA surgical division, it really messes with I try to be cool and I try to trust the system. I don't want to turn into one of those fringe people that are tinfoil hats about everything. But this was really kind of shaking my, when I see approved by the FDA, now I'm always reminded of Morris Waxler going, we didn't know. So, yeah.
0: Wow. Is that episode still up? Can we link to that for the listener to check out?
1: It was not removed and I'm amazed. I'm still amazed that this happened. I'm still amazed that the man is allowed to talk, that he didn't have an accident somewhere. The whole thing is amazing because I never expected the direct source to say this was a terrible idea. Yeah, it's an hour podcast. I'm not a good interviewer. I didn't do it any justice, but he held it together. And Before you get LASIK, spend the an hour and listen to the guy talk about it.
0: Wow. Well, I will link to that for sure in the show notes for this episode. So for the listener, anything we've mentioned today, including the full transcript are available at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com in the podcast section of this episode. You'll find a link to that podcast so you can go listen right away. I mean, I feel like it's horrific. I'm, I'm someone that on some levels... I don't get queasy or faint or feel that uncomfortable around medical things like that. But then there are some things that just, when I hear it just like this, I think about someone peeling away at my eye. I would really have to be convinced to do that. And I feel like that's probably not a good sign. Like When I hear how that works, and just the thought of like looking up and some laser in my eye, it just sounds like this is some sci-fi experiment happening that's horrific.
1: <laughs> you know? It doesn't work. That flap that they cut may never heal. May never heal. For example, if you fly fighter jets, you can't have LASIK. And the reason they say you can't have LASIK is because the high G-forces can disturb that flap that never necessarily properly heals. You dig into this topic, you're like, how is this a thing? Possibly. And good mushrooms, bad mushrooms, right? Like we're living in a forest.
0: Yes, absolutely. And it's just like that visceral reaction to it. And it ties into the main theme here, which is how can we do things more naturally with less consequence? And over and over again, we are reminded as human beings that we've kind of made things so complicated for convenience sake, for superficial, for vanity reasons, which there's pros and cons to it all. As just like we're talking about with Web3 and the metaverse and all that, I mean, there's certainly going to be enjoyable elements of it. I don't know if we can stop it. I'm curious how you feel, Jake, about like, it feels unstoppable to me. And that's, again, why I'm trying to study it and really understand what's coming and what's happening already. But there are so many people fearful of where technology is headed and how far it takes us from the natural. And like, how do we... Spend more time in the natural world when it feels like there's just so many temptations, or it's almost inescapable. Like, if we want to operate, if we want to connect with people. Another example to tie it into something relevant for me is today I realized I forgot my friend's birthday and actually it was a second friend in the past week. And I feel like a horrible friend. One of them I messaged on her birthday about something completely unrelated. She goes, Oh, well, actually, today is my birthday. And I'm like, Oh my God.
1: You are horrible about this.
0: Yeah, your calendar.
1: a really, you calendar reminder. Like,
0: exactly. And I'm a really good calendar reminder person. Like I put these things on there. And I was thinking, like, okay, how did I forget two of my close friends' birthdays? And I realized it's because I used to depend on Facebook to remind me because they have that great feature when you log into Facebook, it gives you a list of all your friends' birthdays, and you're like, oh, it's easy. I can go type them a message. Well. Personally, I don't spend that much time on Facebook. So I no longer got those messages and I hadn't added them to my calendar. So there was this gap and it had me thinking about how much I depended on a platform like Facebook for certain elements of my life. And while I'm enjoying my life off of Facebook, it's had some consequences socially, right? I've made some mistakes. I'm not as aware of what's happening in my friends' lives. Other friends have said to me, hey, How did you not know about this? I posted about it on Facebook. And it shows how so many people depend on Facebook, Instagram, these other platforms to communicate, to connect with one another. And so if you don't use them for mental health reasons or whatever else has compelled you to get off social, you feel less connected to one another.
1: I have this idea and I'm a bit of a hippie in some ways, not really, but I've had psychedelic experiences and I'm open-minded to stuff. And from that in particular, I've learned the value of shared reality. Like when people talk about, I'm not against the conspiracy angle of things. I'm not against worldviews that are unusual, but the value of shared reality. When you see a person wandering down the street shouting and mumbling, their main problem is they lost access to shared reality. Like if you do a bunch of LSD, you spend eight hours not having access to shared reality, and then you get to appreciate the value of that. So I'm always in the, what is good for you on an individual level? And what is good for you because you need to be connected? Like I don't do Facebook, but I was at a restaurant the other day where I wanted to eat my favorite thing. And they're like, oh, that's not today. You didn't check Facebook. So finding that balance of I need to be part of how humanity is moving and changing, shared reality. But at the same time, the scrolling is not good for me. So I'm going to have a personal chosen relationship with these things that maybe don't extend to where they want me to be on there. But I think, especially as we get older, you don't, but I am, I'm super conscious of people lose the neuroplasticity of going along with change, and then they lose the benefit of being part of society. That has moved on. So I'm cool with the metaverse idea because I don't want to become excluded, but at the same time, I'm cautious about how does this affect me and how much do I want to be in those things, I think. Who knows?
0: Yes. And that makes me curious about how you've been thinking about this in terms of your future because you're a very data-minded person. So you're collecting information about what's happening, the transitions, the evolutions of things. like. Are you kind of prepping yourself for the future in some ways? Like, how do you stay more connected to nature with all of this technology driven developments happening?
1: I'm living on a tiny island. After this, I'm going to go outside. I literally only own two pairs of flip flops here. I have a little 100cc motorbike. I'm surrounded by hippies. I spend most of my time playing outside. Actually, after our chat, we have a Jiu Jitsu open mat thing. So there's two hours of physically being with people in a contest of some kind, play on the beach. My friends don't play on phones much. So I put myself in a space where I'm as removed from the things that I think are not good for me as possible. I also have a home in a big city. So half the time I spend in a big city where I'm very immersed in all the things and shopping malls, but then I remove myself from that physical space. And have this experience. And my personal big thing is I have kids. I want them to live in a way that they are just outside enough of the system to appreciate it, but also understand that it's just a system, right? Like China, for example. Before I get into a huge monologue here, just a short TikTok in China. The Chinese government says science clips, not influencers. And I'm not a fan of totalitarian governments, but for once they're putting the interest of the people seemingly ahead of the interest of promoting ads. So there's a way for all of this to benefit us, but I don't think today we can rely on Mark Zuckerberg to be the guy to do things that are good for us.
0: Agreed. And actually, that's part of what I'm hearing a lot about with Web3 is how with us currently being in Web2, that's very much been the experience of Companies collecting our data and advertising to us, making these decisions that have impacted us as consumers and users not being fully aware of things like the addictive properties. Whereas Web3, at least as it's currently hoped for, is more about the community connection and people making decisions for the collective good. But as you mentioned earlier, with Facebook changing their name to Meta, Focusing on the metaverse, like they're obviously already gaining the leverage, and maybe they feel threatened. Maybe Mark Zuckerberg feels threatened because he sees so many people talking about how Facebook will be the thing of the past. So he's literally choosing to make the word Facebook no longer relevant. It's becoming meta. He's trying to get ahead of the curve with the metaverse and find a way to get us in that world before we even realize (laughs) how it might not be great for us. I mean, there's such a rabbit hole here. And I agree, I'm trying not to get into the conspiracies. I'm trying to look at it from a more practical, personal and professional standpoint. And that leads me to another question for you, Jake, is given the changes with the additions and adaptations of cryptocurrency and NFTs, I mean, these are the buzzwords right now that are becoming a huge part of branding and marketing and how companies operate. What are you thinking about in terms of your professional relationship to these changes? I mean, you listed out how you're working on this personally, but what about your career and your work?
1: Everything that is going on in life is like 50-50 or there's amazing potential. Cryptocurrency could change the level of control governments have over us. Fiat money, the paper money you have, all fiat currency that has ever existed has gone to zero at some point in relatively short periods of time. There's no paper money that exists, that has existed, that still exists over a few decades. Money trends towards zero because governments print more of it. Like it's a promissory note, it's not real. The idea that you would have something like Bitcoin that is not under the control of a bank or an entity that has other motives for it that can't be made more of, that can be shared in ways instantly and immediately between people all across the world. Massive game changer, just like the internet allows us to have peer to peer conversations and news and health stuff. It's a huge opportunity for humans to become less dependent on the old model of I rule all of you and this is necessary. I thought that was amazing and because i'm a big nerd i mean back in the day i bought a bunch and it made me a ridiculous amount of money in the process i certainly don't have to talk about eyesight to make a living amazing is it gonna go there i don't know right but if we live in this time where it's like there's too much hype around this please don't gamble on cryptocurrencies but we are living in an age where it's like if humanity is an organism, it's given a new set of tools to significantly evolve its relationship to each other. And we're just sitting in the middle of it. And we don't know how it's going to turn out. It could be a better world, right? Like, nuclear fusion has made a huge advancement recently, like longevity is going to be a big thing, we're going to connect differently, may have different way to exchange value, or governments may crush it.
0: Yeah, that unknown is very uncomfortable. And for me, I've recognized my pattern of coping is trying to plan as much as possible. So I feel like this unknown, I'm, I'm trying to know it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, how can I predict it? But I'm realizing through the process that you can't at this point, And it's all just kind of people's opinions and random predictions and who really knows. So I'm also curious about your perspective on this, having so much history as a stock trader and working in the financial world and you investing, or actually even that term, I don't think applies to cryptocurrency in the way that we think of it, but you deciding to purchase or acquire Bitcoin. When did you get it out of curiosity?
1: I mean, I've done this for a very long time and I didn't expect it. It was not an investment. I just was a fan of I think that's where things should be going and it wasn't that big of a deal. And then the long story, because I do a lot of international stuff, it's a really useful way to transact or to move assets from one place to another. Banks are incredibly, unless you're laundering money or functioning exactly in a set of rules, it's very difficult to use the banking system effectively. This was a whole new way of going, it's mine, right? Like you earned value, it should be yours, but it's really not. You take it to a bank and then they go, well, we're going to verify where it came from and your identity. And if you gave enough governments enough taxes on it, and then maybe we'll give it back to you. Like the idea of you and me exchanging something, you sell me your headphones, I give you value. You don't have anything really, because it's still, once you take it to the bank, it's kind of the banks, maybe they'll give it back to you. And then the government prints more of that value that we exchange, So now all of a sudden you have less of that. I just thought it was an amazing thing. And I was a fan of that direction that is now, we don't know where it's going, right? Like I think it's super important for my own mental health to unplug and disconnect and be kind of traditional. And I'm going to ride a motorbike near a beach and I'm going to practice some Jiu-Jitsu and I'm going to have this really simple interaction because I can't predict the future, I'm gonna appreciate it for a moment, I'm gonna enjoy it, but I'm not gonna obsess or become overly immersed in some of it. Maybe I'm old
0: <laughs> i think I think that's amazing. It seems like you're living such ideal lifestyle with all these decisions the way you're outlining. Some of it is luck or being fortunate. One of my big regrets is that I did not buy Bitcoin. 10 years ago, when I first heard of it, but at the time it just didn't appeal to me. Had I bought just a dollar or $10 worth of it, I would be in a very fortunate financial position from a very small risk back then. But that's part of this unknown is that there's so much that we can do and decide for ourselves, and we have no idea where things are going to go. And I think. Some people, myself included, that can feel really unsettling. But the present moment, as you just described, is so key, just kind of flowing with it all.
1: That thinking is super unfortunate. And right now we're in this hype thing with FOMO and you could have made—you could have bought Apple stock, you would have made a crap ton of money, you could have bought Tesla stock and you could have made ridiculous amounts of money. Crypto went up more than other things, but there were certainly many opportunities that unpredictably were incredibly lucrative. Like I know guys that only invest in things that they believe are going to be 10 times the value to 100 times the value they're currently. And there's obscure plays like oil refineries that would have made you 50 times your money in a span of three or four years. So to me, crypto is not that interesting. It's just the most hyped. And looking back in time is not healthy because all the ways I could have made money is Just looking, knowing the past and being in the future, you go, wow, it was endless and I missed it. But we are still in that time. Like tomorrow, some biotech will blow up or some this or some that. And you're going to go, wow, I missed that. I don't think there's any mental health benefit in going, I wish I would have bought Bitcoin.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it's one of those things I have to steer myself away from (laughs) for for all the reasons. Fortunately, I've had the fortune of Tesla and Apple stocks on my side for, in some ways. So those were good things that I never knew were going to pay off in the way that they have. So I guess there's always that trade-off. But this has been so interesting. And we're talking about looking back. I mean, it's kind of like your perspective on vision is not just about the biology of it. You also have such fascinating perspectives and a vision and a hope for the present and the future So there's different levels to how vision has played out in your life that I think make you such a fascinating person. And I'm so grateful for this conversation. And I would love to know, we have the resources of the podcast you mentioned. I'm going to link to your website. Is the Facebook group open for anyone? So if the listener wanted to go join in and be connected in there, they can just click and join.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Everything is open to everyone. And we have a big forum too that was publicly accessible, but I closed recently. So, there are invites occasionally. It's much bigger than the Facebook group, but people express discomfort with Google indexing and having all the conversations out in the open. I think it's really interesting if your eyesight is not a big topic because you're like, I pop on these glasses and I'm fine. But if you want a cool self-experiment, you can improve your eyesight dramatically and predictably. And tens of thousands of people have done it and it's super empowering to go understand a little bit of how the biology works and then understand a little bit of how lenses work. Realize you can measure your eyesight by yourself at home very easily. You can buy glasses with whatever power you want. The only prescription is because millions of dollars were spent in lobbying. That is another big crock. Lenses cost 2 to $5 wholesale. Paying hundreds of dollars is a giant ripoff. But you can explore all these things and have your own little nerdy experiment that will pay off in you really being able to observe having increasingly better eyesight. I'm not talking about eye exercises and all the fluffy stuff that's on the internet, but literally measurable change. Every three to four months, you can buy lower power glasses and you're going to see equally well with them. I think it's really empowering to go, huh, I have control over certain things in biology and I can improve. I can be 40, I can be 70, I can be 15, and I can change what I see in the world. And I think that tends to give people more agency in going, what else can I do? So, while you might not care about eyesight today, you will have an interesting journey and you're going to have to kind of question your recreational screen use a bit and go, maybe I should find a new hobby to use distance vision. I'm biased, of course, because this is my topic, but I think it's a huge opportunity to have a entry point into affecting how you perceive yourself and how you see the world in a super fun experimental kind of way.
0: Love that beautifully said. And you've definitely inspired me because what I don't think I fully touched upon when I was talking about the blue blockers is that myself and I know many others can know what feels good, what they should do, what they feel like is best for them. But there's so many temptations. And especially with all this technology and our addictions, our human nature, we can get drawn into something just like Coke Zero, you know, when you brought up that example. It's like if you know that it tastes good, people could tell you as much information about how that might not be good for your health, but you know it tastes good and you want that instant gratification. So you drink it despite the other knowledge that you have. For me, I will use TikTok, which is my current entertainment source. And I've heard all these different things about TikTok and concerns about it, but I'll just kind of like push them aside because it feels good for me to utilize TikTok. And not only am I on a platform that's designed around instant gratification, but I'm sitting there holding my phone for however long it is. And you've inspired me to just find another reason to lessen my time and to become more aware. I feel just motivated thinking about your life and what it's like to be on an island wearing flip-flops, hanging out with other people that aren't on their phones and how that's increasingly important for me too, to spend time with people who aren't sitting there scrolling their phone in the middle of a conversation, texting somebody else while you're in the middle of connecting with them.
1: Yeah. We have dinners where I'm like, I'll pay for dinner for everybody. But the rule is nobody brings a phone. There's no phone.
0: That's amazing. That's a really good rule. Because that's like the other one that I hear so much about is where everyone has to put their phone in the middle of the table and the first person to touch their phone has to pay.
1: Oh, But maybe it's even
0: more motivating if they know ahead of time, like, hey, these are the rules. I've thought about like events and things like that. They're so nice when an event says like, which is rare. I mean, but there was one that I went to where you actually had to put your phone in like this special bag and they had a a whole team of people that like locked them up securely, but you had to go into the event without your phone. And then at the end, it was like a bag check, but for your phones. And I thought that is like so great because we don't always have the willpower to ignore a text or check our email or all those times where you go into a social setting. And for like a second of boredom, you reach for your phone and suddenly you're completely disconnected from everyone else there in person.
1: It's incredibly addictive. People who have never had a drug addiction or a real addiction that they battled and won, don't understand that this is the exact same thing. It's an addiction for everybody. There's no beating this one. Like this one is going to be an ongoing thing but it's just find other things to tempt you and realize this is a treat, not a replacement for living your life. Like I play on my phone for sure but I also realize the value of boredom. Because boredom leads to creativity. Be bored for a while. And then you're going to go, what else can I do? And whatever experience you have that arises from boredom, I promise you is going to be more lasting and interesting than whatever you scroll through on TikTok. Nobody tells us these things because they don't benefit the people who sell us all this stuff.
0: Yes, I love that so much. Again, that's inspiring me too. I did an experiment earlier this year where... I didn't use any electronics aside from like basic or at least at the time felt like I needed to use like the lights or something. Like I tried to go with, I tried to turn off everything I possibly could within reason for 24 hours. And it was so enlightening because I realized how my brain would immediately feel bored. And then I just sat with that boredom and let it pass.
1: Then you do something else. Like we have a, chessboard here and I don't want to play chess like it hurts my brain to think that much but don't have your phone around for an hour and you're like yeah I guess you know
0: or reading a book and then for me there was another level there I was like oh this is easy I'll just go read and then I recognized that I use ebooks most of the time so then I went and picked up a physical book instead and read that had the experience of actually turning a page and how different that is from using technology to read and It was so revealing because sometimes we don't even recognize how much we're dependent on devices and electronics for pleasure and for connection. And we have to be more purposeful about it. And I love that this conversation was initially about vision from just like your eyesight perspective, but it kind of encapsulates so many elements of life. And you gave me all this perspective about how what I see plays such a bigger role in my life that I'm even conscious of. And I'm so grateful for that.
1: Yeah. And I don't feel like I deserve any credit and I'm not the guy. I'm just the guy, but it is, we're short-sighted in literal and all the other ways so much of the time.
0: Yes. And that is a good word for this. Like what's the opposite of short-sighted? Farsighted. Farsighted. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You can't see clearly up close. That's another thing.
0: Yeah. So it's a good metaphor to reflect on. I will be thinking about it. I imagine our listener will as well. So I'm so grateful for you being here, Jake. And I want to release you from our virtual connection so you can go connect in person with whoever is part of your life today and moving forward. And I see it's dark here in Los Angeles where I'm recording and I notice your windows are all bright. And I just imagine you stepping out into the world and taking in the island. So that even makes me feel good thinking about you doing that. So please enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you to the listener for tuning in. You can now use your vision to go to welllevator.com and find all of the notes, the transcript, that podcast we mentioned, the Facebook group, all of the resources that Jake has put together for you. And as much as Jake is humble, he has certainly made a big impact. And want to make sure that you can continue on the journey of learning and feeling inspired alongside him. So again, that's at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Find the podcast section. You can type in the search and you'll find this episode. And I hope that you enjoy digging deeper into this. Thanks again, Jake. Enjoy the rest of your day.